the entire point of democracy and liberty and freedom is supposed to be, as it's laid out right in our Constitution, to stop the advance of tyranny, right? And, and so if we have tyranny right here domestically, then there's no way that you could parse a Colin Kaepernick being wrong for saying that the flag, and even more specifically, the symbolic ceremony that honors the military is not what it says it is. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. Well, it's been one week and how the world has changed. And that's why we're talking to Royce White, former NBA player and protest leader from Minneapolis. We spoke to Royce a week ago about the state of things in Minneapolis, the protest movement following the police murder of George Floyd. And let's just say things on the ground have changed a great deal in one week. And Royce White is going to give us that ground floor view of what exactly is happening right now in Minneapolis, the feel of the protests, the feel of the police, and what it's doing to the communities where he organizes. It's a fascinating interview. you got to check it out. Also, I've got some choice words about Olympian Gwen Berry, who's saying to the USOC, that's the United States Olympic Committee, where's my apology? I've also got a very interesting Just Stand Up and Just Sit Down award. I got Kaepernick watch and more, but first, let's go to Royce White. Our show last week, you should know, was our most listened to show of the year so far. And oh, wow. So there was a real thirst for people to hear a part two and see, because, you know, this last week, I mean, so yeah, much yeah. changed in just seven days. And I yeah, guess that's my yeah. first question for you is yeah. what's different now compared to a week ago? Well, uh, you know, we had the arrest of the other four officers, right? We had the, the charges, um, you know, increased uh, to second degree murder. And, uh, you know, the, the Minneapolis police have now uh, banned chokeholds and they put a couple other immediate things in when it comes to the protocols and process of the way other officers need to behave or report or stop uh, the officers doing those types of, of, uh, you know, apprehensions. So. Wow. And what's, what's the mood on the streets right now compared to a week ago? Yeah, man, I think people are, you know, people are, you know, doing a circling pattern right now. And I think that's a good thing. I think the circling pattern is a good thing. Um, I think the state here, you know, the city and the state have tried to quell a lot of the, the energy, uh, that obviously sparked out across the entire world. And uh, I think Minnesota is trying to get the world's eyes off of it as a launch, as a launch point, right? It's kind of that, that ground zero. So um, I don't think they're going to be successful with that. I think this is a much deeper issue than what's going on day to day and anything that they could try and, you know, appease with uh, arresting former the other three officers or, or, you know, up, up, upgrading the charges. So uh, we'll see what happens. But, but the energy that we can feel on the ground is more like this has to change for real. It's not about the outcome of this case needs to be different. That goes without saying, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Do, do, do people, though, feel from, from your interactions, to, and, and you as well, do you feel a sense of accomplishment 
of what you've done over the last week. I mean, you've shifted the debate on policing nationally, if not internationally. It's It's been remarkable. I mean, I'm in D.C., so I'm at a distance. Yeah. It's been remarkable at a distance. But do people on the ground there feel a sense of accomplishment? I think they really do. You know, I think they do. I think we came at it from two angles. Um, you know, you had your you had your people out there that were willing to, you know, go in, into hellfire and brimstone um, in order to push the, you know, push the ball forward and, and move the needle. And then you had, you know, people like on our side that said, wait a minute, you're not going to just show Minnesota protests or this protest or this movement as one of violence and recklessness and chaos. We've had three marches now with 40,000 plus people and there wasn't a single fight. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm just unbelievably proud of, uh, of Minnesota and Minnesotans this week. And I, I guess that's the, the biggest difference between now and a week ago is a week ago I was just completely ashamed to mm-hmm. be from Minnesota, completely ashamed that, that I had to welcome my friend, you know, to town under these circumstances and that the world uh, had, to, had to come and see Minnesota under these circumstances. So uh, over the last seven days, I, I definitely feel a sense of, of uh, proudness and, and accomplishment for what Minnesota has done. No, it's an amazing thing to see here. Um, that's real talk right there. You know, um, the police a week ago in, in Minnesota were so violent in response to these protests. Uh, they chilled out, basically. Have the police chilled out in the last week? Oh, yeah, we run the police off. Yeah, the police are, the police are gone. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, we, we marched yesterday with about 20,000, I'd say, and uh, we, we, we didn't see any police all day. And so I guess that's the second biggest accomplishment from these marches and just from this, you know, this moment of protest in general is you're really starting to see how hyper-policed communities really are. Uh, because, you know, under normal circumstances, you would never, never think that 20,000 people could gather without the police pres- without a police presence and in peacefully with no altercations. So, you know, I think for us, obviously we went in with the explicit intent to keep peace and promote peace, but I also think there's just something to be said for communities, you know, with a little help, with a little leadership and guidance, with a little more of a, of a you know, an intent can, you know, call into question the, 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 ne- the necessity for policing altogether. Mm-hmm. at least yeah. at the level that we've seen it so far in this country and at least at the level that it's at right now in our communities especially black communities which is obviously uh, over the top you know not only in in their methods and tactics but in their in their sheer presence mm-hmm. um you know, you know since also we last spoke you've seen uh the minneapolis school board say they want the police department out of their schools your debates in the city council about, I mean, devolving or disbanding the police. What what, what are your thoughts on, on, on cops out of schools first and foremost, and then on defund the, the over-policing? Well, well, here's, here's what's going on. I think on the, on the ground level on that, on that ground, you know, metaphysical level is that the people, the free people of America, the free people of these states and cities are starting to see the state, as one entity and so what other factions within the state are now starting to do based on that energy that's starting to bubble up is say we need to demarcate ourselves from that bad guy or else we will uh, run the risk of a a revolution against each one of us and so 
you know, it's not like the school system hasn't been under ex- extreme scrutiny as well. It just, it just doesn't involve uh, many uh, strangulations, you know, strangula- strangulation deaths on, on camera. Um, but our school system is still under fire. And, 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 you know, basically what I'm saying is the state feels the pressure. And when I say the state, I don't mean the state of Minnesota. I mean the, the state. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so you know, now they're going to put, you know, try and demarcate themselves from the police department. And I think it's a rightful move to make, but I, I do not, I do not recommend that they believe that's the end of it. The, the reality is that the state has too much of a, a running score of being corrupt and, and being and being overextended into these communities and the communities are going to retake their sovereignty. I guarantee it. And, um, when they do, it won't be a reform of the police. It won't be a reform of the school system. It's going to be, you guys are now outside the circle of trust and in order to come back in, uh, you'll have to prove yourselves and it'll be on our terms. And that's exactly what should happen. Now, um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about some of like the hot button, uh, sports questions around this. Like, what, have you, have you been following it all? Uh, Drew Brees, his comments. Mm-hmm. Of and course, he, you know I have. His response then to Donald Trump and um, yeah, when Trump yeah. said, no, Drew Brees, you're right to defend the flag and, and all the rest of it. And then Roger Goodell's statement where he's talking about Black Lives yeah, Matter yeah. all of a sudden. What's your take on this about face by people like Roger Goodell and Drew? I'll tell you what. I'll say this. I think these these conversations have become ludicrous to me, right? And I said this yesterday to a few reporters. I don't know how a Donald Trump becomes a president of a country. I don't like to spend so much time talking about him because I do see him as a symptom and not a disease. You and I were having these conversations about global corporatocracy and the, and the, you know, the extension of the state years before Donald Trump was elected. Right. Um, so I don't like to spend much time on it, but in these situations where so much is at stake on a, on a physical, fundamental physical safety level, you know, Donald Trump is, is egregious in his involvement. And for him to call Minnesotans uh, terrorists, you know, peaceful protesters, and for him to just, you know, group us in as terrorists is, is, is patently insane, you know. Um, and so for me, look, Drew Brees, he's a clown. What, what, what gives him any validity or credibility to speak on politics at all, <laughs> in my opinion? He's a clown, you know, and, and what he said was completely egregious. It's never been about the flag. We all know that, that the historical context for black men in, the, in this country carries a way, different, uh, uh, a way different feeling and emotion than the symbolic one that they try to you know, all encompass us with, right? And, and you can talk about the military specifically if you want to go down that route. But my question is, the greater question is, I won't even speak about Roger Goodell. He's a chameleon, right? He's a, he's a chameleonic figure. He's a liar. He's a snake oil salesman. He's one of these, you know, shifty characters, just like Adam Silver. I won't even speak on him. He's been a clown. And, and shame on Jay-Z for, for sitting with him a couple of years back. You see what that gets us now in retrospect. But anyway, uh, you know, the, the, what's really happening on that side of the conversation with the military is uh, the military has failed to stand up and speak in, in a great in, in large respects. Right. The military has failed to stand up and go, listen, it's supposed to be our charge to go across the waters, to go outside of our country and fight 
so that we don't deal with things like that in our country. The entire point of democracy and liberty and freedom is supposed to be, as it's laid out right in our Constitution, to stop the advance of tyranny, right? And, and so if we have tyranny right here domestically, then there's no way that you could parse a Colin Kaepernick being wrong for saying that the flag, and even more specifically, the symbolic ceremony that honors the military is not what it says it is. It's actually explicitly that. It's not what it says it is. We're not honoring the military when, when the NFL can blackball uh, a guy for speaking about so, uh, racial injustice and, and police brutality. And even more so, we're not honoring the flag when we act like Dr. Malu. Dr. Malu didn't tell the world about CTE, and they tried to, they tried to run him out of town. Mm-hmm. And then Donald Trump tried to say that it was soft for the NFL to make adjustments to their rules based on Dr. Malu's science. Isn't the right wing, isn't the right wing conservatives, the group that says science over emotion, facts over feelings, isn't that their motto? So how is it that Donald Trump could just dismissively, uh, you, know, uh, you know, dismiss the, the rule improvements based on CTE discovery? It's like, the point is, the point I'm making is that these people aren't even serious people because their, their, their line of thought isn't even coherent. Right. So, you know, Donald Trump is like is a is a fool. He's a fool. And right now he's able to play a game because we've moved into a space where there's this there's this court gesture moment. You can be a, you can be a clown and, and wiggle yourself into a position, even the president of the United States. But we're coming to a time where weenies like that, like and I'm just going to be candid. Donald Trump is a weenie. Mm-hmm. OK, he, he could it, he could never have he could never have sat at our lunch table is what I'm saying. He could have never sat there. He could have never spoken. He definitely couldn't have spoke like that at our lunch table. And we're moving to a time in this country where it's going to matter what those, what those fundamental principles are on that physical level. You know, so he can try and bully and threaten with the military if he wants to because the position he's in, there's going to be a time when he's not in that position any, anymore either. And he's going to have to live with that reality in this country and the people he's affected. And guess what? It's not so clear that everybody's so afraid of the military as he thinks because we were ready to go stand toe-to-toe with the National Guard out there on the 35W Bridge. So mm-hmm. there's that, too. You know what I mean? So that's, that's the energy that's bubbling up when people keep trying to push that line like, oh, man, you're not really that tough. You know, you're speaking to a white supremacist uh, wing of this country that are definitely tough, and they're definitely uh, very strong in their, in their convictions, and they're definitely willing to die for them. We've seen that. We're not so scared of that either. They told us that the white supremacists were in town. And guess what? We marched anyway with white people. White people weren't afraid of that. People are going to stop uh, being bullied, right? That, that tyranny, that tyranny is bubbling up and people are, gonna, are tired of that. So. Yeah, that, that's a great point all around. I've got, you've been really generous with your time. I got one more question for you, and it's a little bit deep, but you're the only person I would want to ask this. You've been an advocate around mental health, particularly mental health uh, in the black community for as long as I've known you. What does protests like this do to the collective mental health, the collective psychology of a community that's been under the boot of the state? Yeah, I think that was probably one of my main intuitions, is just getting people out there together on one of something as a community. Uh, is, is great for, for emotional stability and health and mental health. I can't tell you how many people that I got messages from over the last few days. 
from the last week that just said, man, I was out there. I was feeling so much pain and hurt from what I saw, from what's going on in our community. To see us come together like that so many times gave me goosebumps, brought me to tears. Writing you about it right now is bringing back those same great emotions, you know, walking through the streets and seeing people from, you know, uh, high-rise apartment buildings come out onto their balcony and raise the fist and clap and, and support. It's just a great feeling. It's a great feeling, and I think it's one that's needed. It's rightful. It's not, it's not vanity. It's, it's, it's the fact that we can come together and do things on our own. And, again, it goes back to that sovereignty. It's like even the state even wants you to think that you need to go through them to feel okay, like to have a sense of community. You don't need a permit to get 20,000 people together. You don't need their okay to get 20,000 people together. We own this country. And I think underneath all of it, the fact that we're able to go out and march and protest gives people that back in a time where it's, it's been, you know, uh, viciously snatched away from them in their mental, in their psychology. When you watch what happened to George Floyd out there on the street in isolation, you know, at the hands of the state, you are stripped of, of the security and your mind is like, man, I am very vulnerable to a tyrannical state. And so when we go out and march and protest, it gives a piece of that back to them. And I think the people have responded to that. Wow. Royce White, uh, you've been an absolute uh, inspiration through this entire process, man. Thank you so much for uh, coming back on the show. Thank you, man. All right. Peace to you. Good luck and be safe today. Yep. Thank you. We'll be back right after this with a few words from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Folks, if you support this podcast, go to thenation.com slash subscribe and support The Nation Magazine. If you haven't been to thenation.com recently, you're missing some of the most incredible and dynamic coverage about this movement for black lives that has swept all 50 states in the United States. Ellie Mistel has been killing it. Um, he's got this article up called To the White People Who Keep Asking How to Help, which is really important. Uh, David Haju has an article uh, about music called This is the Sound of Gentrification. Uh, Talia Lat Levin has a piece called How to Be an Anti-Fascist from Your Couch. Uh, this is really important stuff. And Tere has a piece called On Protesting During a Pandemic. Uh, it's just it's just so much stuff. The missing element of police accountability. Um, the pandemic is a threat. The president is worse. I mean, there's so much here that you need to look at. Stuff on Bill de Blasio. I mean, it's just incredible stuff. Exposing by Ken Klippenstein that the FBI finds no intel indicating Antifa involvement in any of the quote-unquote violence that's taking place. So it's, it's great stuff. So go to thenation.com, slash subscribe, support The Nation magazine. We need to support independent media now more than ever. And of course, when you support it, you're supporting the future of this podcast. We're now back with some choice words. All right, everybody, I've got some choice words right now. And it is about Olympian hammer thrower, Gwen Berry, and her asking the United States Olympic Committee, where's my apology? Okay, look, the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee had something to say about the importance of fighting racism amid this national uprising against racist police violence, but Gwen Berry was absolutely not having it. 
Barry raised a clenched fist on the medal stand to protest racial injustice after earning the gold medal at the 2018 Pan Am Games. This is when sports protests had actually hit a lull and the gesture stood out just as Barry wanted. In response, the USOPC gave her a reprimand and put her on probation for 12 months with a warning that there would be more punishment if there were any more protests to come. Now Gwen Berry wants the USOPC to put its newfound racial consciousness into practice and say, I'm sorry. She tweeted the USOPC statement and on top of it wrote, I want an apology letter mailed just like you and the IOC mailed me when you put me on probation. Stop playing with me. I reached out to Gwen Berry for her thoughts about the Olympic statement and her call for an apology. This is what she said. She said, I felt like their comments were about as hypocritical as they could be. It's really a smack to the face because I've lost so much because of how they did not support me, of how they made it seem that I basically did something that was bad, even though it was peaceful. I didn't cause any altercations. There was nothing that I did wrong. All I did was speak out about who I stand with, what I stand for, and how I felt. Therefore, my family has lost so much because of the reprimands that I got, and yet here they are basically saying the very thing that was the total opposite of what they did to me. It's just hypocrisy. But I feel like that's America. America says a thousand things, but they do the opposite. That's the country we live in, and that's why so many people are upset right now. I asked Barry if she felt like the current national wave of demonstrations prove in practice that she was correct to take the stance that she did. I definitely think the demonstrations vindicate me, she said. I feel like for once in my life I'm finally being understood as far as my feelings pertaining to the injustice that's going down in the world. I know that I spoke out last year around August, and let's be honest, I got more hate than love. Like I said, I lost a lot, and therefore my family lost a lot. At that time, I felt misunderstood. I felt that people were scared to come out and stand with me because athletes lose so much and they have families to feed. So right now, I definitely feel vindicated. It helped me to go out there and support my people and march with my people and protest. I'm pretty ecstatic right now. I just hope (laughs) that everyone keeps momentum going. She's so badass. We have to come up with ideas. We have to strategize. We have to plan and we have to keep the momentum going. If that apology comes, and it absolutely should, then Gwen Berry will have accomplished something that breaks legitimately new ground. So many people in sports are falling over themselves to praise the demonstrations, say that black lives do in fact matter, yet what they aren't doing is accounting for their past. The NFL isn't coming close to admitting that it was wrong to collude against Colin Kaepernick and deny him work, while crafting PR statements that managed to take a great deal of space in order to say nothing. The USOPC is issuing empty statements of solidarity when what it needs to do is come clean, admit it has been wrong to penalize athletes for using the platform they earn to oppose racism, and they need to write Gwen Berry a damn apology. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey everybody out there, this is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports Podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it, but we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. 
We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. Now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up and just sit your ass down. And oh my goodness, do we have a bunch of contenders this week. I don't even know where to start. Uh, But I do know where to start because the story of this week at the intersection of sports and politics, in addition to the sheer number of athletes uh, who have been attending protests in the streets uh, from Natasha Cloud uh, to Carl Anthony Towns, I mean, it's been a remarkable thing to see. But the people who really stood up this week were the players of the NFL. See, the drama this week in the NFL started when Drew Brees did an interview on Yahoo Finance. Yahoo Finance, of all places. And he said, I will never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States of America or our country. And he talked about why he was against players taking a knee during the anthem. That was Drew Brees. And to put it mildly, it upset players in the NFL, including his number one receiver, uh, Michael Thomas, and including Malcolm Jenkins, former teammate of Drew Brees. And this is what Drew Brees said. It's unfortunate because I considered you a friend. I looked up to you. You're somebody who I had a great deal of respect for. But sometimes you should just shut the fuck up. That's how angry people were at Drew Brees. Drew Brees knew he fucked up. And one of the ways he knew he fucked up was that Michael Thomas, his number one receiver, with the help of an NFL employee named Brandon Minter, uh, they organized a group of some of the most high-profile players in the NFL, including... Patrick Mahomes, Ezekiel Elliott, Saquon Barkley, and they made a rather remarkable video, and we want to play it for you right now. It's been 10 days since George Floyd was brutally murdered. How many times do we need to ask you to listen to your players? What will it take for one of us to be murdered by police brutality? What if I was George Floyd? If I was George Floyd? What if I was George Floyd? 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 I am George Floyd. I am Breonna Taylor. I am Ahmaud Arbery. I am Eric Garner. I am McCormick McDonald. I am Tamir Rice. I am Trayvon Martin. I am Walter Scott. I am Michael Brown. I am Samuel Du Bois. I am Frank Smart. I'm Philip White. I am Jordan Baker. We will not be silenced. We assert our right to peacefully protest. It shouldn't take this long to admit. So, on behalf of the National Football League, this is what we, the players, would like to hear you state. We, the National National Football Football League, League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people. We, the National Football League, admit wrong and silencing our players from peacefully protesting. We, the National Football League, believe black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black Black lives lives matter. matter. Black lives matter. Bam. They really put it to the NFL. They made demands of the NFL, player demands of the NFL, that black lives did indeed matter and that the league has not been acting as such. That led Roger Goodell to have to make a statement to quell this revolt where he spoke about the need for Black Lives Matter and admitted that the NFL was wrong to try to quell player protests. Now, guess what? They didn't say the name Colin Kaepernick, which I think says something all on itself. And that's something that needs to change. Colin Kaepernick and his employment needs to be at the heart of any movement in the NFL for black lives. Otherwise, it's just empty air. And I'll include Eric Reed in that as well. Colin Kaepernick's partner in so much of this work. And Eric Reed has not been signed And I don't want to see, and no one wants to see, collusion, blackballing, slash whiteballing 2.0. So unless 
players. And unless Roger Goodell is talking about Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed getting re-signed, then they're not doing everything they need to be doing. So just stand up to the NFL players. And you know what? Just stand up as well, I got to say, to Drew Brees. Stand up! Because Drew Brees, after making those comments and after two fulsome apologies that to a lot of folks felt more like public relations, uh, he actually did something. You know, because we don't need words right now. We need deeds. And Drew Brees actually did something. See, Donald Trump tried to use Drew Brees as a symbol uh, for uh, being against the rebellious black NFL players. Donald Trump has used black NFL players as a punching bag for years uh, to sow division and to spread his racist bile. And he tried to use Drew Brees as a counterstance to that. Donald Trump tweeted, Old glory is to be revered, cherished and flown high. Brees should not have taken back his original stance on honoring our magnificent American flag. We should be standing up straight and tall, ideally with a salute or a hand on heart. There are other things you can protest, but not our great American flag. No kneeling, exclamation point. Jesus, what an asshole. Um, and this is what Breeze responded with, a statement where he said, President Trump, through my ongoing conversations with friends, teammates, and leaders in the black community, I realize this is not an issue about the American flag. It never has been. We can no longer use the flag to turn people away or distract them from the real issues that face our black communities. We did this back in 2017 and regretfully I brought it back with my comments this week. We must stop talking about the flag and shift our attention to the real issues of systemic racial injustice, economic oppression, police brutality, and judicial and prison reform. We are at a critical juncture in our nation's history. If not now, then when? We as a white community need to listen and learn from the pain and suffering in our black communities. We must acknowledge the problems, identify the solutions, and then put this into action. The black community cannot do it alone. This will require all of us. See, I think that's pretty dope. I think Drew Brees taking Donald Trump's idiotic words and turning them back on him in a very high profile way actually shows some courage. It's a deed, not a word. And Michael Thomas, Breeze's receiver, who'd been so critical of him, put out a simple tweet where he said, that's my quarterback. Now it's time for part of the show we call Kaepernick Watch, the latest comings and goings of Colin Kaepernick. It is remarkable to me how much Colin Kaepernick has emerged as a symbol of these protests how people take a knee at almost every protest, hundreds of thousands of people across the country taking a knee with the message that if people had only listened to Colin Kaepernick in 2016, 2017, instead of hounding him out of the NFL, maybe, just maybe, we wouldn't be dealing with what we're dealing with right now. Maybe, just maybe, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, among others, would be alive to this day. So Kaepernick's place, it's not just about Kaepernick watch, it's Kaepernick the whole world is watching. The whole world is watching. And if there's one thing I'd like to say, it's the performative acts of the police to take a knee at a lot of these protests. And then soon thereafter, they're gassing people. Uh, so I would say don't fall for the propaganda of police taking a knee. Uh, it's not something people should support. It doesn't show some great social understanding. It's what we call an okie doke. It's what we call propaganda. And it's something that people should oppose 
it's no joke getting blinded because you get hit in the face with a rubber bullet. And it's no joke uh, for police to treat kneeling as a joke, which is what they're doing when they followed it up with violent suppression. Well, that's all the time we have this week. Thank you so much, Royce White. My goodness, what a difference a week makes. Thank you so much for everybody out there listening. Uh, Please stay safe in these streets. Please wear masks and socially distance when you go to demonstrations. We don't need our best people to also become sick. For everybody out there, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.